0: Welcome back to the Four Gardens Podcast. I'm Jake Ifshin. The Four Gardens is an approach to cultivate a life of balance, joy, and abundance by focusing on four key areas of life. On this show, I talk to people inspiring me in those four areas of health, nature, creativity, and service. To learn more, go to fourgardenspodcast.com and follow at fourgardenspodcast on Instagram. Make sure to like and subscribe to hear new episodes and support this project. And while you're at it, take a minute to check out our new YouTube channel. We just posted a lot of new engaging video clips from the podcast, as well as other content. I'd love it if you could make a comment, like, and subscribe to those videos. My guest today is Sunny Atwell. Sunny taught an improv comedy course at the Pitt Theater that I was grateful to take part in this past October in New York City. I really enjoyed class with Sunny. He made improv fun and easy and safe for me to get into. And I found that improv was a great way to grow my confidence around public speaking and performance get creative, connect to other people. And I just had so much fun. I'm excited for this conversation to learn more about Sunny and about improv. Let's jump in. Sonny, thanks for coming on the show today, man.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's just great to see you, man. I had such a good time with you in October in, in our like first intro level intro. We did four classes together. Sonny taught this great course that I was in and had a blast. And just I have such a positive association seeing you with like that good time I had. <laughs>
1: oh, that class was amazing. That was such a wonderful class. It was one of my favorite classes to teach is the level zero
0: class. Yeah, it was, you taught it beautifully. And I'll say in the the group, group of people that came together, a little community we had there. Those are amazing people too. I love them. And everyone I met there, the energy in that group. I think it just, improv just attracts people. Or maybe we got lucky. You'll tell me improv attracts people that are open and just uh, ready to get a little weird, which I liked.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's always about the group of people that you're with, but also a lot of it is just about cultivating that energy. And and the reason I like Level Zero because a lot of people have this conception that improv is just you know verbally coming up with stuff on the spot and making like plays and scenes. But with that specific class, the Level Zero, it's just about making people comfortable, and it's literally called the joy of improv. So you're trying to find the, the most amount of joy that you can. So you have more freedom to play these games that improvisers will usually use to warm up. And once you get into the flow of the game and the rhythm, it's like you can like really free associate and just be the energy for a few minutes of existence.
0: (laughs) That's one reason I connected to improv more easily with you is you use language like that of thinking about the energy, the connection between people, the energy of the group. That was one way you taught it was to be, get a little step back and talk a little bit theoretical about what was happening but at the same time it wasn't ever heady it was like we're playing all the time we're playing games we're having fun it's it's easy but it's also then later i'd reflect back and be like oh that was really profound in a way too to that kind of moment i had with that person or the way the whole group came together around that game it was really cool
1: yeah yeah i love that and that's why level zero to me is so much fun because yes. There is that uh, element of uh, of actual learning that you probably don't even process until afterwards. I mean, I don't know about you, but after those two and a half hour sessions, I always left exhausted. I was so uh, exhausted every single time. I'm always exhausted after every class because I'm giving so much energy into it.
0: I felt that too. I felt, especially in the early classes, my first improv, I did a, a jam before I did the class. I just would threw myself into a few of the open mic open performances that the pit hosts but especially early for me i felt a lot of adrenaline like a lot of just energy to stay to receive that much connection from people like that much being in the moment like it's it's very different feeling than the energy it takes to just have a normal conversation or just sit on the subway or do my work on a computer like it's it's for me it was exhausting too i felt that
1: yeah you you, you went to jams hold on You, you went to jams
0: I went to two. I got a friend dragged me to a jam at the pit. So did you
1: go to mine or
0: I wasn't in yours. No, I was in two other ones.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Were they like the before the pandemic? After?
0: No, they were. They were during. Um, they they were right before in September. I was in New York City. Oh so, wow! Over the summer when I was visiting, and so I um, I yeah, I did these jams, and actually I didn't have a very good experience. My first jam was like oh my, because it was one of those jams where like seven, ten people were on stage at once. And it wasn't like, it was really throwing me off into the deep water.
1: You were at Thursday at 1030, weren't you?
0: I think so. Yeah, yeah, I I
1: definitely, you and I definitely crossed paths then before. I used to, Uh, I used to go to those jams all of the time. I I mean, every jam that the pit offered.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I I think that might be the case. We were in there. I don't know if, I don't think we got to play or improvise together, but I, I think we were in that same room maybe. And I found it like that first one, it was The energy was like, I couldn't drop into it because so much was happening. A lot of experienced improvisers, people were really going for it. It wasn't this safe container that you made for the first intro level zero we did, a joy of improv. And I, but at the same time, I was like, that was scary and intense for me uh, to get into, jump in there. And I I want more of that. Like, I'm like, I'm going to follow this fear. Like, why was that? And then I did another one. I did like a, a level one open class before I signed up with you. I did this level one. And that's when I was like, we started playing the games, it was structured, it was more safe. And and that's like either level zero or that level one drop-in is what I recommend for people based on my experience was like, that's when it clicked for me. I'm like, oh, I love this. This is, this is cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, part of it is like, you know, you're not gonna go play an NBA game before (laughs) you even know how to dribble a basketball, right? Uh, And so when you go off the deep end like that, unless you're super confident uh, and just willing to go for it, it's always going to be difficult. I remember my first improv jam and I had performance background. I had played improv games in the past. I had just never done long form improvisation. And even I felt a little off the deep end, like not knowing what I was really doing. But I still had a blast and I remember laughing super hard and I hadn't laughed like that in a while and so yeah it is terrifying if that's how you get introduced and you're not used to that kind of stuff at all but it is very fun to watch
0: so i'm curious now you said you had a performance background i i didn't really get to know you personally it's one reason i'm excited for this conversation is i was in class with you you're my teacher but i didn't get a chance to really drop in with you and and learn more about you but i saw that poetry is something you're passionate about and there's other parts of your performance i'm hearing now so I love it if you could give a little background of how you got into improv and like what you're bringing to this, uh, to, to this practice.
1: Yeah. So I was in high school when my speech coach, I was in her class and she asked me to be a part of the speech team. And I've always known that I've got a talent or an energy fostered inside of me. Like that's something I've known since I was four. I remember telling my parents I wanted to be an artist. I just never quite knew how to cultivate it. So I joined the speech and debate team and I got hooked. I was like, oh, okay, so I'm a performer, right? I, I get into this this, this stuff, this uh, humorous interpretation, dramatic interpretation, duo, poetry. And I become a speech captain. I I dedicate myself for three years to to the craft. I'm there every single day after school from like 3 to 6.30 on Saturdays. I mean, my my high school life was made up of speech and debate. And then by my senior year of high school, uh, it was such a a, a heartwarming moment because I, I was, you know, I had done for my sophomore junior year or for all my international people, my grade 10, grade 11, uh, those years I was doing humorous, dramatic and duo. And I just felt like I wasn't getting the rep, the credit and the reputation that I deserved as a performer, which story of my life. Uh, Cause I am a very unique kind of performer. I'm different. I'm not necessarily someone that it fits in the mold. And so my senior year, I go up to my speech coach and I, I ask, I'm like, "Hey, can I do poetry?" And she just kind of like laughs, like, "You're not a serious guy, really." And I'm like, "I I can be. I I trust me. Give me the chance." She gives me the chance, and then by the end of the year, I become state champion in poetry, which was a, a wonderful moment for me. It, it was it was uh, three years in the making because I had never won the state championship. There it was one of the proudest moments of my life. So that's really when i was like okay i know i can do performance i know this is what i'm, I'm meant to do and then i i graduate uh right, high so school
0: i got a question for you really quick yeah. to stop for a second of i'm not familiar with poetry competitions like i know about slam is this slam poetry like i'm not can you film the slowdown there and what i'm impressed that you won something with poetry but what what was the competition
1: yeah. So in high school speech and even in college speech, if you join that circus, uh, it used to be the National Forensic League, the NFL. I think they changed. But pretty much what you can do is you can put together a montage or, or a collage of poems that have a collective theme. And then you recite other people's poetry in your own style and you can uh, piece them together the way you want them to, so that they tell a cohesive story. So you are the poet in the sense that you're the artist putting these different pieces together in the rhythm that you want to tell a specific type of story. And like so it. that, yeah. And then in that, in that, circuit, that's how it works. I, it, you know, and, and in college, I got like second or third place in the state, but in college, I didn't really take it as seriously. I was, I, I had given so much to the craft in high school Then in college I just kind of was messing around and I only did it for a year. And so I got second or third. I think it was, I can't remember what it was. It was probably third in college, but that's how the the competitive circuit works in high school and college for speech and debate.
0: All right. That's yeah. I didn't know. I'm not that connected to that world. So thanks for, thanks for clarifying that. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah. Please keep going too on the, uh, on the story of uh, where you like getting into improv.
1: No problem. Yeah. So then I, uh, I did this thing called DEMOLE, which is like this youth organization for young men uh, for ages like 12 to 21. And I took a leadership role in that right after high school. I w- it was around like 19 to 20 when I became state president, regional coordinator for like uh, looking over different states stuff. And I ran for the international presidential position as well. And I lost by 10 votes. And that was the moment where I was... Uh, th- Those few years that I was really going heavy into that, that's when I validated to myself, okay, I know I can be a leader. I know how to lead people. Then once once those two big, because that was kind of an extension of my high school life. Like I was still doing that while I was in college, but I was also doing that while I was in high school. And once that was officially over, I had to ask myself, what do I do now? And so I got into stand-up comedy. Because I had always watched that with my cousin as a kid. Even though I was born in... I wasn't born, but even though I was raised in Indianapolis, I did not know anything about the Chicago improv scene. You know, that that's the thing. And I don't want to get too preachy, but it sucks sometimes being in Midwestern or uh, areas where you're not a first priority area you don't have the education of the resources that are available to you that are around you. I didn't know that much about improv in high school speech and debate. We had something called improvised duo, which my speech coach wouldn't let me do because she thought it was a joke. And, and that I needed to take everything more seriously, which is very funny looking back on it now. That yeah, is right. Uh, so I, uh, thought stand-up comedy I was like I know I'm funny so I have to do stand-up comedy that's the next that's the next thing that you do so I started doing stand-up comedy and I had a great time doing it I worked I I did mics and stuff Uh, at a certain point though uh, being a stand-up comedian in Indiana people kept saying I sounded like Aziz Ansari which I'll give you credit, sometimes I do an inflection where I sound like Aziz, but most of the time I do not sound like him, and that frustrated me, so I quit doing stand-up for a couple of years so I could find my voice, you know, just live my life a little bit, so I started doing some plays, did a commercial, uh, just kind of messing around with different artistic parts of my career, did 48-hour film festival with friends, the Indie Fringe Festival with friends. And I got to a point where I just felt like, okay, I think I want to move out of Indianapolis. And it was this weird moment because I always thought of myself as a California dude. And like just something entered my brain. I'd never thought about coming to New York. Never in my life did I ever think that. But it was weird. I just was at a bar and I was like, by this time next year, I'm going to be in New York City. And then, yeah, I ended up in New York and I found the pit, do an improv jam that I talked about earlier in this podcast. And I was like, I only have to pay a couple of dollars to get on stage and mess around with nothing prepared and laugh harder than I've ever laughed in my life. And then I just got addicted. Oh, yeah. I went. I started going to every single improv jam I could find. I was taking classes. I finished the program in a year, and that's my introduction to improv. I loved it. I love it still.
0: And now you you transition as a, you're a performer. I see the shows you're doing now. You're posting about them and a teacher. And so, how did that transition happen? Of going from just a participant, I guess from the beginning in improv, you're invited to perform, and. So that transition could feel natural to me. But then you flipped. When did you start teaching improv?
1: I started teaching improv during the pandemic, during the online world, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I skyrocketed through the program in the sense that, you know how like uh, you have intensive programs? I would say that me and a couple of other people I know did the most intensive kind of program you can do which is, I did a whole program in a year, you know, level one through five and the master class. I did in that year, five to seven jams in any given week. So there was a Monday at six, there was a Tuesday at six, at, at 1030. There was a Wednesday at six. I would watch all of the shows on Wednesday. At that point, it was super free Wednesdays. And then I would do the 11 p.m. jam on Wednesdays. And then there's a Thursday at 6 p.m., Thursday at 10.30, Friday at 6.30. I mean, I still have all of these remembered. And those are just the jams. That's not including all of the shows that I watch, minus the Wednesday shows that I watch. That's not including all the other shows that I watch. That's not including all the other shows that I did, just improv shows in general. So I was watching a lot of shows. I was doing... A I lot see. of performances. I was practicing at a lot of jams. So the best way I guess I can describe it is, it class is like you know, that's like your practice, right? If let's go back to basketball, if class is your practice with your team, a jam is like street street playing street ball, like at the street at the courts. You're you're practicing. You're playing three on three. It's not real stakes. You're just playing with the boys and the friends. And then a performance is like the real game. I was doing that nonstop for a year. And then the pandemic hit. You know, it it sucked. But then I didn't stop. I kept going throughout the pandemic. And yes, ending the pandemic. It's like, if we're going to do online stuff, I'm going to do online stuff. What else do I have to do, right? And my hard work got rewarded. I got interviewed to be a teacher, uh, during the online world, and then I, you know, I transitioned into the in-person world once every, I, I, I helped bring back the in-person stuff when I, when we uh, came back, so, you know, it's been a, it's been a huge journey, a long journey, it's not something that I ever really wanted to do, like, I wanted to teach as a side gig, as a side hustle, I thought that'd be fun, I never wanted to necessarily do it as fast as I did, uh, cause you know, I, I love just being a follower, but I get thrust into leadership positions from time to time, just because I'm the right person for the job.
0: <laughs> you were the right person for the job for our class. For sure. I was, um, I I felt that and that's cool. Yes. And in the pandemic, I like that. And that you, I didn't know it was so recent for you. It's, it's cool to hear that story that you really found you leveled up in this during the pandemic and continue to stay with your passion for improv. And i'll share for me that this your improv helped with this project this podcast i started it i think i said on the first day of class that was the first day i'd released a podcast episode was the first day of our level zero course and um i this was this for this practice of improv for me of just being willing to yes and uh guest a conversation a moment like improv has really helped me with this and like i i just have to give you some credit as a teacher like my, my principal improv teacher. You uh and hopefully future teachers too. will get to work together more and co-creator. But I just felt like this helped me a lot. And this helped me get over that nervousness or that stiffness I was feeling a little bit too. In some early episodes, I was feeling a little stiff. I wasn't ready just to to go with the the flow and to yes and uh a guest. And so I just want to say thank you right now too. I'm glad you're leveling up and teaching this.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Thank you so much for saying that. One of the best things that I probably learned from the practice is when someone presents you an idea just to say yes to it, or at least like think of a way to add on to it. I think what I used to have a bad habit of doing in the past was that someone would present an idea and I was like, Oh, but my idea is better. Let me give you that idea. And if you keep doing that, people aren't going to bring you their ideas anymore. They're not going to want to talk to you about them. And, and, And so I love when people bring me ideas. In fact, I have to rewire my brain. I mean, I'm consistently rewiring it. If you remember that phrase I keep that's probably what I preach to my class the most is rewire your brain and yes and yourself. Uh, those are the two that I always tell all my classes. But rewiring my brain just like when someone says something to me is just to pause and think how can that idea be implemented? Even if it's the way I want it implemented, it's their idea. It's just my spin on their idea and that way we both feel involved
0: it's powerful yes and in yourself too so it's not even it's the other person but when you say yes and yourself you say more about that means
1: yeah i mean you know in terms of like the the practice of performing when you're when you're saying stuff i mean for me especially i'm always trying to speak from the subconscious like i i don't have anything planned like it's just kind of coming out as it's coming out and sometimes when you're saying stuff as you're saying it like think about it when you're having conversations most of the time you're you're saying it as you're thinking it. And if you say it as you think it, you may say something out loud and you're like, holy crap, that was pretty good, right? (laughs) You may say that more often than not. Yes and that. Go even deeper into that idea, that philosophy, that fear, right? That's what I mean by yes anding yourself. So, So in a scene, it could be anything like, oh yeah, I love chocolate chips when I'm sad, Right, that that could be the line that you say. So, yes, ending that would be like, Yeah, I love chocolate chips when I'm sad. I ate chocolate ice cream for three months after my dog's funeral. Uh, right? That's that's adding that's adding an idea to the previous statement.
0: Yeah, and then building a world around that. That would be my role coming in and saying, you know what? I have a grief business where I help people that are sad and we just use chocolate. I'm a chocolate therapist. Actually, my father was a chocolate therapist, and he's building building on that and just saying like, Hey, you put something, you know, you threw a ball in the air. And instead of being like, Oh, how do I play with it? I just play, you know, I don't wait for you to tell me what my job is. I just come in and I support and I, yes. And so I can do that for myself and I can do that for others. And that's what makes, and that's like, what makes this fun is that, is, is that unknown, that uncertainty of like, well, the balls in the air, what's gonna, what's gonna happen. Yeah. I love, and that's why I'm like riveted watching other people do improv too. Like I, that was one thing that surprised me is witnessing other people doing their yes anding themselves and yes anding others. Actually, is really exciting for me too. I found that.
1: Yeah, it's always exciting, man. It's so much fun. I, I love it. I, I really do. It's just for me, as someone who's improvised his whole life. You know, I, like I have always kind of gone with my spirit. I've never had a plan. I've never had a plan except for get famous somehow so I don't have to do a real job. That has been the only plan that I have had my whole life (laughs) is get famous enough to where I can do no job and I can pay someone to clean for me. Those have been my two goals since I was a child and for someone who has improvised his whole life, it has been incredibly rewarding to just be able to go out there and make stuff on the spot and perform. And 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 be impressed by not just you know your own self when you're in it, but impressed by the people that are around you that make you look good, and you make them look good. And as a collective, you're like, whoo, that was good.
0: This this is another lesson. So this is one lesson. You know, you shared a few lessons already from improv, but this is another one. Is like, how's the collective when we're talking about how do we want to exist with other people? Like a lesson from improv too. Of getting lessons around that of how do I want to work as a team? Like how do I want to be? Even on the subway or with like strangers too. Am I yes ending a stranger, you know, in my life? Can I be like open to to what's happening in the world? Can I like, am I ready to play? Like there's some kind of lesson here. Like we can even get, there's a lot of we could say about learn lessons from improv, but there's something here about how I want to exist in community too, that improv teaches me with others. Uh, do you have like more more thoughts on that too? What is an improv-informed society? What are we learning as a society from this?
1: I mean, improvisers are positive people for the most part. Like every improv community, you can talk to you can talk to anybody. Everybody thinks their improv community is the best. I think the pit improv community is the best. I'm sure pretty UCB great. improv, yeah, it is pretty great. People in UCB, I'm sure they think their improv community is the best. IO probably thinks that. You can ask most people and they'll say that their improv community is amazing. And part of it is because when you're preaching this kind of level of positivity, You're getting up there with people and coming up with something on the spot. You're interacting with each other afterwards. You know, it's just fun. It's just fun way of making friends. And that level of connection that you build just will naturally translate, hopefully, into other aspects of your life. Even today, you know, I was waiting to get a a PCR COVID test. And I'm waiting in line for like three hours. And these people are rude. <laughs> like they have no understanding for what the hospital's going through. They're just in the moment of how cold it is for waiting three hours outside, you know. And instead of getting mad about it, it's just like, how can you just take the positive out of it? How can you be positive toward them? You know, making that connection with people goes a long way. It goes a long way. I used to be a server and I remember... It's not the people that would be rude to me that that I would want to help out first. It's the ones that would ask me nicely that I would want to help out first. Yeah.
0: And there's a quality, a special quality of positivity I feel like improvisers are having where it's a listening kind of positivity. It's not like, I'm so positive. I'm going to shine my sunshine so bright it burns away your sadness. But it's like, let's meet people where they are. Like a good listener, I felt like what I learned from your class is, uh, sorry, a good improviser is listening to what? is happening is noticing the whole scene and is paying attention and i think that's but then ready to lift it up ready to be positive and put it into to lift the whole funniness of it lift the whole fun lift the energy of the scene up like when when you know those great improvisers can come in like i see you do this and take something that's happening and make it way more interesting or way more funny just cuz they're being themselves and they're listening they're not running over what's already happening they're yes handing is so i think there's some like special quality of listening that i think I'd like to see more of in the world of people like taking the time to pay attention to what's happening.
1: Yeah, I agree. Listen, just listen. Listen. It's all in the listening, always in the listening because you want to be funnier in your conversations. Listen to what the person in front of you is saying. Add on to that and you'll be funny. I yes and conversations all day. I remember when I moved to New York, I did improv and I went back to Indiana. I was like, guys, I'm way funnier now. I've never been this funny. I was like, I've been so much funny. It's like when I'm doing conversations, I'm just yes anding my friends and it's just funny. And it's like, they're yes anding me back and we just get into this riffing state. It's great when people are sad. I used to think I had to give them advice. They don't need my advice. They just need my ears. Just cut off my ears for him here. No, uh, they just want someone to listen to. So now, and that's something, I'll tell you what. I used I, I used to have a really bad problem with just giving out advice. And now I'm, I try my best to like wait before I give that out. Because I don't think they always need my advice. They just want someone to listen to. Like I want someone to listen to. Because I'll tell you, the people who I don't go to when I want to talk about my issues are the people that I think are going to give me some sort of judgy feedback.
0: Well, this is the improvised improvising thing too. Is that I don't want people to tell me what to do. As a, like you don't tell us as your, as an improv teacher what to do uh, in the scene. You know, you never script it for us. You know, you'll give us if it's like it's a way of teaching style too. You, you might model model an idea or explore it. But it's like, I, that's interesting to me. That's helpful. Cause then I take what you're modeling and I put it in my own context. But when someone's coming in, like, I don't want, I I feel resistant to going to be an actor and reading a script. Like I know that's another art form in its own that has tons of value, but there's something about improv where I'm not, nobody's there telling me how to do it. You know? And like, that's a lot with life is I don't need a lot of people telling me how to do it, but I also want people to play with and to, to, to laugh, to mirror back things, to be an audience, to be a collaborator. Like, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for someone just to tell me the answer. And I think that's something I like about improv. I like it about rock climbing. I'm into that too lately of like, nobody tells you how to go up that wall. Like that's not good etiquette in the rock climbing community. They don't say left hand there, right hand here. And there's like a a diagram of how you're supposed to do it. No, that's, you're supposed to solve the problem your own way. And I think that's part of what I love about improv too. And also, uh, a lot of the music I do is improvised. Same thing. There's something about all these art forms where nobody's telling me the advice or the answer that, um, and I'm not doing that for other people too. I'm just supporting, which I like.
1: Yeah. I love that stuff, man. I mean, I always just kind of have a faith that things will come together for me. When I'm like beginning a project, I'm like, I know I'll figure it out by the end of it. And I usually do. It usually does work out. I, I trust my subconscious to figure it out for me. And the thing I like about comedy, not just improv, all comedy, is that it's the most accepting art form, in my opinion. Like the inner like sure, the inner clicks are bad anywhere. But the overall arching picture of comedy is you can be whoever you want to be. And be funny. As long as you're funny, people will accept you. You know, there's a whole thing about with actors. They're like, you're not picking the gay actors to play gay characters. You're not picking actors with disabilities to play characters with disabilities. You're not, you know what I mean? Like all these different kinds of, uh, like even the, uh, Master of None did an episode about how they pick somebody else to play an Indian guy. All those kinds of things in the acting world. In comedy, it's like, you can be any number of things. And those number of things that you bring out to the table that make you unique are what you're gonna bring to the table to make it funny, right? And it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. Like, you'll always be accepted in comedy as long as you're funny. I've seen people that have just completely surprised me at how amazing they are that may not have gotten the time of day in other professions occupations or art forms but the greatest thing about improv is it requires so much of your own personal experience to come out and that's why two scenes are almost never alike because you can say flamingo and it's going to hit everybody's brains in a different way and how they bring that out and that is super cool to see
0: that's that is super cool to see and i'm enjoying how what you're saying about comedy too of it's creating a place for it's it's creating a place for i think people to be on laugh at what they're uncomfortable about too. I think this is where change is possible. I feel good comedy can make me uncomfortable in a way. Of good. There's like a discomfort that I can, I can see, or I can manage. So we're thinking about a new idea, a new type of person, a new, like accepting somebody is like, I think laughing laughter can be the first part of that acceptance to be able to connect to somebody on stage first, who has a perspective or a background or just has a way of being that you're not, is not in your friend group is not in your, in your bubble. I think comedy can like break down some of those bubbles i think improv can do that too can bring diverse people together with different experiences and make something funny that suddenly like is inclusive and is and we're and we're, we're understanding each other we're listening to each other um, i think just to sit and listen to a comic one person talk to stand up it does this as well i think listen to one person talk and just share and and, and just be with their world i think all of that is powerful and like is part of the social change we're seeing in our society. I think comedy is a real positive can be like comedy is many things, but comedy can be a real positive force for good in the world is what I'm, how I'm experiencing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of the reason why I like doing comedy. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do something with comedy, but just to be able to bring laughter to people and to, expose different ideologies and beliefs in a very funny way is fun even though I'm not the type of comedian that is able to break down a philosophy or an argument you know you have a lot of people that can do that and that are famous right now I'm much more of like a storyteller but I, I'm, like, uh, I, I, when it comes to my stand-up, I'm much more of, like, an inspirational kind of guy. Or it, Honestly, no. Everything that I do is very inspirational-based. I'm always trying to leave with an inspirational message. Like, I'm trying to do an energy transfer so that when you're done watching any of my shows, uh, you're, like, oh, Wow, that that hits me. I guess in improv, I don't do that because it's a lot harder to think of a moral. But anything written that I do, anything performance-wise that's like from me, I'm always trying to do put some sort of inspirational message in there.
0: I think, and and I think that's unique to you, or not unique to you, but that's special to you. That that's not all comedy is doing that. A lot of comedy I think is unconscious of the effect in my experience of it, is not strategically uplifting or positive. And that's okay, I think to I accept that. Like that's type one type of comedy. There's so many flavors of comedy, but I think that I like that you put that intention in there. And are there um like how does that look for you? Like what what, could you give an example of that?
1: Yeah, so the I did a 45 minute solo show. It was called Taxi Cab Driver, and it's not based on a true story. Everybody thinks it is, but it's about this guy whose father passes away, and he inherits his taxi cab company in a time when Uber and Lyft are taking over. And I did a lot of really cool things, interactive pieces. Like I had passengers recorded, and they were p- projected in the background as I was the driver on stage interacting with myself. This is right before TikTok became huge, and I uh, I had this whole cool scene where like I have this psychedelic Uber ride, and I'm like in this weird land, and I'm communicating to the the heavens of dead fathers and i'm like talking to darth vader and mufasa and hamlet and then my my character's dad who i recorded with an indian accent and everything uh is i'm communicating back and forth right and the scene is just pretty much about like the because the the character is, is like I want to be a comedian, a stand-up comedian. I don't want to be a business owner or a cab driver, but I feel like this is my legacy to uphold for you. And, you know, the, the father is just like, the legacy is you, not what you do. You are the legacy. And I was surprised at how many people told me they cried. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people... We're yeah. like, I couldn't believe how emotional that was because I never intended on it. Like, I, everything I do is always jam-packed with sincerity. I want for you to laugh at the most unexpected moments, but I, I I wanted to be really sincere along the way. And I felt like that was just like, you know, the climax was that. And a lot of people told me that that was amazing right? Like that, that moment was like really, really sincere and emotional. And that felt really good because even like the opening part of the show, you know, I'm, I'm like, there's a stand-up comedian that's projected and I'm taking a phone call while he's doing his set. And he's like yelling at me. He's like, what, you, what's your problem, dude? Like clearly the guy answering the phone, which my character is, is the asshole. But the guy that's doing the stand-up comic that, that he's yelling at me. And he's like, What's your problem? What did your mom even call you for? And it's like, my dad just died. And it gets a huge laugh because it's that awkward moment. Yes. But it's funny because I, it's, it's, it's real. But then the guy's reaction of like, oh, you guys can follow me on, right? Like that's just real <laughs> moment of life. Uh, I like doing that kind of stuff. Because uh, it, it's it's not toy. I don't think it's messed around with enough. So that's an example of something that I did that was you know kind of inspirational. Uh, and then at the end of the show, I do a ten minute stand up set, uh, summarizing what you know, doing it in a stand up way like Seinfeld kind of. And uh, the very last line that I say in the show, and this is funny, going back to now when I'm like, I just kind of let life take me wherever it takes me knowing that it'll help me finish i did not know what the last line of the show was going to be until like the day of or the day before i was like i'll come up with it eventually and the very last line of the show was i you know who knows if this comedy thing will work out and if you know if worst comes to worst i can always become an uber driver <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs> oh that's great is this available you say you don't have it with like It's no
1: longer available, man. It's no longer available. But I will be doing a solo show in 2022. It'll be a lot more stand-up based. It'll still have some interactive elements. I don't know the exact date of it yet, but I'm anticipating it being ready around March, April. And you can actually come watch that at the pit uh, if you want to watch it, audience. Hopefully, I'll be doing a run of it and I'll do it at uh, the pit and other places as well. Uh, just because I want to get it out there I'm really excited about it this is a fun project and it'll have that same inspirational element along with it because that's just my style same level of sincerity
0: well this episode's coming out in a few weeks so we'll get the link in there so people who are listening to this episode now will can can learn about that show and get there are there other, are there other offerings too you're doing I'll, I'm gonna link your instagram and and other pages but is there other that's the big thing coming up is March at the pit and the new show'll be yeah, i really encourage people to check it out I'll see you. yeah i'll be there
1: that's my big thing yeah that's my that's my big big thing i've been working on this for a, a little bit uh, of time and and i've been a lot of people have asked me when my next solo show is going to be because the first one was, was a very big success i was very proud of it i actually opened up at the asian comedy festival for michael cruz kane who is a, a well-known comedian inside the industry And that was a big deal for me. So I did it twice. And uh, both times it was great. I felt very happy about it. And it was, you know, in the life of an artist, it's not often talked about enough how hard it can truly be to feel like you're on the right path. But the times I did my solo show were the times when I felt the most validated when I was like, I really am truly meant to do this. And so... This next show for me is is a huge deal. It's a culmination of so many different things about who I truly am. Like The Taxi Cab Driver show was a fictional show that I originally had a plan for to do an indie film with. But now this solo show is going to be a true culmination of who I am as a person and my entire journey up until this point in my life. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It could be a little later than May- March, just because I'm trying to figure out how to make it look as cool as possible and uh, as almost as perfect as possible. So that's, yeah, that's my next big project. Uh, there are other things that you can see me at too. Like if you want to ever watch me on an improv show, we have the Pittison Showcase, which is where we get the pit performers, like teachers, students, all that. And it's kind of like, our, I don't know if people are familiar with UCB's Ask Cats. It's kind of like our version of that. Not really necessarily even similar, but in terms of the big show at the end of the week, that's kind of our thing. We do it monthly, almost monthly. It's on uh, Saturdays. You can catch that. It's on Saturdays. We have a big New Year's bash coming up on January 1st. You can catch me there at 9 p.m. And you can also catch me January 22nd. At eight PM or five PM, I don't know. You'll find out. You'll you'll get the links on the on the captions.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep it all updated too. And uh I want to be a little selfish for a minute too, because I got you here. And I thought it might be fun just to see if there's an improv game we could play, like something for people who haven't, you know, are still they've heard a lot about like the theory of improv too tonight, a lot about the value of it in society and like the intellect. We intellectualize it a good bit. Um, but yeah, is there a game we could play tonight that would maybe illustrate something about improv that maybe people would you know benefit people that are new to this or also entertain people that are uh that are old hats at this right now, old hands.
1: Yeah, I got one. This is actually my favorite one to play virtually. Now, uh, this is something yeah. that I played over Zoom a lot uh when we we're when I was teaching. Have you okay? So this one's called News Report. So Pretty much, what will happen is, you know how they cut away at, on news channels, and they say, "Okay, we're now going to pass it over to Rebecca, who has all the insight on Black Friday sales at Walmart." And then you would play Rebecca, who knows everything about Black Friday sales, and so we'll just keep tossing it back and forth. But you have to label the net, You have to label me as an expert in the field of something. All right, we All right, start like off this. with one idea, but that idea can go wherever it wants. Just because we're talking about rabbits doesn't mean the whole five minutes has to be about rabbits. Let's do it. Yeah? Okay, I'm cool. In. I'm in. All right. Give me a suggestion.
0: A suggestion on a topic?
1: Just do yeah. I... First word on your mind.
0: Uh, I'm looking at a couch. It's only about couches.
1: All right. Uh, Christmas is coming up and man, oh man, do families want new couches after the pandemic and everybody's sitting down for so long. Couches have gotten worn out. It's time for new couch season. And uh, man, they have been going off the shelves. Actually, people have been spending their stimuluses on couches. We actually have a couch shortage and more on that. Jacob, can you please tell us about the couch shortage happening in Arkansas right now?
0: Yes, this is Jacob here from Arkansas. I'm on Chopper 10 here where I'm, I'm I'm hovering above a small riot outside this uh Mac and Denny's furniture store here. There's over 400 people. They're starting fires. A car's been flipped over. Right now, the chaos is getting out of control. I don't feel safe right now. We're gonna take the tro- chopper up another hundred meters. Uh get we're getting get a get an aerial shot of the destruction going on here. Um while while we're gonna stay abreast of this developing story, I'm gonna pass it over to i pass it over to Trevor to talk about new research in mermaid technology.
1: Thank you so much. This is Trevor, researching with Mermaid Technology. Uh, With all the destruction happening in our state as of recently, we've been looking out for the power of Atlantis. How can the power of Atlantis help us in our society, as it seems like we're on the brink of no hope? And we just think, since mermaids are such a mystical and magical creature, I mean, we all remember the first time we learned about Ariel and the powers of having legs and no legs and a fishtail. We want that same whimsical spirit inside of our bodies once again. So to take us on the magical land of childhood spirit and what it could possibly do for our own nutrition, I'm going to give it to Dr. Heisenberg on childhood spirit and nutrition.
0: Yes, this is uh, Dr. Heisenberg. Thank you, Trevor. I'm here to talk about childhood. Was it childhood spirit
1: you were Ah, uh, yes, it was.
0: Spirit, okay, and nutrition, yes, We're talking about children nutrition. and uh, with our with all the new breakthroughs in Atlantean technology and mermaids, we've been feeding children seaweed in large quantities. Children love seaweed. Surprisingly, when they grow their own seaweed, they eat the seaweed. But in our laboratory next to the ocean, we've been testing all kinds of different flavored seaweeds, and we've um, oh, and by the way, buy my seaweed, Dr. Heisenberg's seaweed. Uh, seaweed Plus and also Seaweed SpongeBob. They're, they're they're shaped like SpongeBob's, and we feed them to kids. And they actually increase brain function at 11%. They increase reading 14%. They increase they decrease behavior instance, uh, incidents by 26%. And so it's been quite a scientific breakthrough. I'm actually shortlisted on several prizes. Uh, not to toot my own horn, but yeah, please do buy Dr. Heisenberg's special uh, Seaweed SpongeBob-shaped <laughs> medication. Um, with that, I'm uh, I'm going to pass it on to I'm going to pass it over to to Stephanie over to talk to us about the emerging uh, <laughs> the emerging trends in uh, dancing for elderly people and the music and the kind of music scene that we're seeing this craze that's broken through the elderly world around this new dancing.
1: Thank you, Dr. Heisenberg. Stephanie here reporting on Dancing in Front of Elderly People. Boy, oh boy, are we having a good time here with the ballerinas of St. Juilliard. They are performing their little tails off in front of these elderly people. Actually, uh, it has done um, more damage than it has done good. Uh, A lot of these elderly people are dying of high blood pressure because they're so worked up at how great the dancing is. They've all been reaching for dollar bills and 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 trying to pinch as many of the, the, the fate the cheek faces. That's right, the cheek faces. Uh they are trying they are trying to pinch both the cheek and the face all at the same time. Six hands coming at one person's face. We've had a couple of deaths of a few ballerinas along with elderly people. It is safe to say that this was a complete disaster. And we're looking at you, Mayor John. What are you going to do about this crisis? This is ridiculous. This is the 10th program you've tried to do for the elderly where both participants and elderly have died. So for more on the destruction of our great city and state, I'm going to pass it over to Trish who has all the latest on PlayStation 5D, 5D4.
0: (laughs) Uh, This is Trish here. I am at Sony laboratories in Japan right now at Trish D4. I am at, uh, I'm learning about the new capacity of our new Sony PlayStation consoles, which now take you right into the metaverse. All they need is all of your information, your social security number, all your DNA, with a simple ocular scan, a uh, small pinprick of blood and uh, all your all your background financial information. You are transported for up to ten minutes into the metaverse, where you will be tickled by all kinds of bears. That's the that's the only app they have right now. The only game that's out so far is a game where you're tickled by many giant furry bears. Um, but since it's the metaverse, you can actually feel all the tickles realistically. You do have to sign a waiver before you go into the metaverse that uh, you will not sue the bears or attack the bears. Uh, they are played by Skilled actors, um, but it is quite a <laughs> it is quite a journey to take. Um, if you're willing to give up that much information, you can have this experience right now. Down um, uh, with just get your new Sony 4 dfm M console uh, and get started. Plug it in, ready to go. Great for all ages. Get into the metaverse with us right now. Um, I'm going to pass it over to to Tony back in the studio, and Tony's got a a young man with him who has been through. Uh, been through quite an experience over there of uh, a near death experience at a roller coaster uh, that could happen to anybody. I'm going to pass it over to Tony to talk to um, share about this intense uh, journey this young man had.
1: Why? Hello. It's uh, thank you so much, Tony, here reporting at King's Island. Uh, yes, this young man uh, had a young, a very near death experience by riding the Beast roller coaster. Uh, but you see, uh, the young man is a former ballerina and says that it was still better than performing in front of the elderly. Uh, do you hear that, Mayor John? Do you hear that? I just want to make sure that you. Oh, wait, this just in? Oh, oh, I see. Okay, uh, Mayor John has now issued PlayStation 5D4s to all the elderly so that they can be tickled by the bears all day long and thus solving our biggest crisis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's yeah, it. Uh, it in there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, oh, man, thanks for that. That was, that was, that was a good time. Um, yeah, I, I feel uh, I feel like... And I'm missing improvising with you back in New York and uh, <laughs> I'm up there now and um yeah, man, that was fun. and anything you want to highlight about like things that came up during that little game we had or think observations you had around that
1: um,
0: I've got yeah, one I mean, too yeah. yeah,
1: you you want to go first I, like, I'll go out right after you.
0: I was popcorn and I'll just say one thing was the throwbacks uh that you were pulling. I really like the throwback to major John like that's something you'll see or mayor John of like the of bringing things back. I just remember, like, I thought I liked how you did that. So that was one thing coming up.
1: Oh uh, yeah, right on, right on. I love, I love callbacks. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah. Or throwbacks, it doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I liked uh, your 5D. When I said PlayStation 5D4, it's, I don't know why I said that. I mean, it just flew off the top tip of my tongue. That, because whenever I do this exercise, that's always the example that I use, is PlayStation 5s. And then when I said five, I was like, oh, come on, Sonny. You got to add something to this. And that's why I was like, 5D4. But I loved that you made it into the metaverse and that you need a trickle of blood. And the tickling, their tickling thing, right? Like, that's when I was like, well, these elderly clearly need to be entertained. (laughs) That's where, like, the callback literally came from is that I was like, these elderly need to be entertained. And I was like, this seems like it's about to be the conclusion of this elderly storyline.
0: Yes. Yeah, it felt like that. I like the um, the elderly piece you did with the ballerinas and the, like, I, I mean, I just enjoyed a lot of different parts of this, but I thought the detail you added on that one, a couple of them and the different voices you brought in, I enjoyed that. Like, I think that's something I would work on on my next, like getting into different characters. I just enjoy, like, that's, that's an area I want to grow into more. And I like how you had your different news reporters and you had, um, you like set the scene of each reporter um,
1: well, you know, with the Stephanie character, I, I remember when I first started improv, I would just do these, like, stupid, cliche female characters, like, <laughs> ah, ah, like, that's stupid, nobody does, pl-
0: that's your female,
1: no, 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 ah, but, like, uh, just stupid little, like, cliche things yeah. about, like, women are just, like, Oh, my God. Like, you know, just these ridiculously cliche stuff. So, I like, I really try to now play human female characters. So, with Stephanie, I was like, let me just make my voice a little bit more feminine. And then, when we go back to Yes Anding Yourself, uh, when I said cheek faces, I was like, what is that? Right? I was like, cheek faces... And that's when I had to go like, yeah, they're they're pinching their cheeks and their faces, and they're six <laughs> hands all. You know what I mean? Like I literally had to just go with the the idea that I had, and I, I did like that part. Uh, and I, I liked uh, I liked that you gave me the character Tony. Well, the roller coaster guy that uh, Tony was a reporter, but I liked the the roller coaster guy that you, that is about to die or had a near-death experience because it's like this seems interesting you know we just went with the near-death experience with the ballerinas And now this guy has a near-death experience with a roller coaster you know that's a that's a theme almost so i was like that's and not to mention with the destruction at the beginning that we talked about yeah. so it's like an ongoing theme that we had so I, I thought that was very interesting while we were going through that
0: i'm gonna listen back to this because one thing that this is a one of the values I got from improvising is I would think back later to what came out of my mouth, like during these games that we, you would you would organize and I'd be like, man, does that reflect something I'm feeling in my life? Like about, am I just like, you know, I talk about this holiday craziness, like the couch riot going on, you know, people just like riding over couches and I'm like, or, or like the metaverse, like someone taking all of our information and like, you know, uh, this, this, this like movement to the metaverse is like, it's funny how I'll just like, I'll look back on how I improvise and I'll realize, oh, I was, am I feeling some discomfort around something going on? Or am I like, I mean, do you have those like later on? Some, um, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is like really reflecting something. I wasn't wasn't on my conscious mind, but it's like an unconscious fear, or an unconscious thing happening.
1: It's like your dream. Yes. When you're dreaming, your subconscious is trying to work out so many different things going on in your life from the past, the present, or thoughts about the future. And not always are they conveyed exactly how they seem. And when you try to tell other people about your dream, they never make sense. I tell people all the time improv sets are exactly like dreams. Because your subconscious is trying to work something out, but it's not going to come out exactly the way you think or feel about it. And when you try to tell people about your improv, it's not going to make sense to them. <laughs> that's because, I've tried. yeah, even with the metaverse, it's funny that you brought that up. I'm just now starting to learn about the metaverse. Like I saw a TikTok about the metaverse. So I thought that was funny that you brought that up because that's the group mind thinking right there. Yeah. We both had it on our subconscious
0: yeah that's fascinating part of it and that's also the chance to like oh we're gonna get into this together it's like a, a dream only happens i'm by myself when i'm dreaming i mean mm-hmm. i know i have some friends that don't agree with that that we're all dreaming you know in some kind of lunar world where we can meet each other i'm sure there's other cosmologies but generally i consider myself alone when i'm dreaming and i but improv i'm not alone improv we're together we're, we did that together we had that metaverse experience we had that when you the what we created was both of our unconscious, collective unconscious. I'm kind of using unconscious. I'm a bit of a, uh, like Carl Jung talks about the collective unconsciousness uh, that we share. And so we're creating out of that space. It's like, it's not me or you, but it's like, you You might be, I think, feel like even pulling things, noticing things that I'm triggering in you or you're triggering in me that aren't, you're not aware of till that moment you say it. And like the fact that it's happening together, that's, that's the art for me. That's like the great weird, the greatest weird part of all of this is the, is that whatever that weird art truth is that's coming through when we co-create this way
1: yeah during the pandemic my uh my improv partner or we had two prop partner two improv two person improv set uh mike warner and i would have conversations before we did our virtual shows in the morning we did like over 300 of them on instagram they're on socially distant improv yeah i'll check it IGTV. out igtv yeah if you want to check them out uh they're fun they were fun but We would have conversations before every show and it was so fascinating to me to see how much stuff would get pulled up out of our conversations into the show. Not intentionally, not purposefully, it would just naturally get there and that was something I noticed immediately and was fascinated by because there are going to be so many times where you may be on the sidelines and two people come up on the stage and they do something from what you thought was in your life, in your head. And that's what an improv we call the group mind. That's and the
0: group,
1: yeah. group were you asking, what is it?
0: Oh, no, that's the group mind. I was just yeah. uh, sanding you.
1: Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know what the group mind is, it's just this like, hold on one second. For anyone that. Do- for anyone that doesn't know what the group mind is it's when it's like the belief that when you're doing this set together as some as collectively you like the the team is working together without thinking about it like your partners are going to make the decisions for you without you having to make like call them in or anything you're just all working together and it's insane how in in sync it is it, it's it's serious cool when you get to witness it it's even cooler when you're a part of it it's like the way i describe it to people is you know when you do a trust fall right when you do a trust fall i guess this yeah uh there's a point like right here where you you're kind of a little worried is that person going to be able to catch you or not and then you know a second later you're good but imagine living in that space with no one behind you. And then imagine all your partners in that same space in a circle, just like uh-huh. all collectively in that same fear of like, is someone going to catch me? But like you're conscious, like you're consciously in tune with each other to hold each, like your energies are all holding you up. That's a little bit more of the spiritual side of things that I like to believe in.
0: that's rad! Yeah, and I I was—I'm just reflecting on session one. We played this game a a lot, or several times that you—you taught us in the class, where you think of the same word. You're trying to mind meld. Mind meld. Yeah, we can't model it with two of us, but you go around in a circle and you try to get the same word at the same time. Like you, am I explaining this well? I guess you're both trying to continuing around the circle and trying to get closer and closer to the same word. You start with two very different words, and then you another pair of words, and then another pair of words. Until you hope to land on the same word. Does that feel clear? That explanation? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's clear enough. And week one, we, we, um, it took a long time. We went around that circle of 20 people several times, but then week four, we were more tuned in and we were knocking it out after three or four, three or four people, we would get to that word real fast. And it was sometimes like goosebumps because you would just be, how did those two people get that? Because you'll say it at the same time same moment no there's no cheating or watching these people just come up with the same word out of ten thousand, you know possible words they came up with the same one it's it's narrowed down because it gets closer and closer but that for me was an example of this like how the group mind can be accessed through practice and through like yeah we're doing this this dance this meta the dance metaphysical dance you described with the trust fall but then there's like this choreography this practice this like strengthening of support that happens the more you like, you talked about 300 conversations with your partner like 300 like how does your relationship evolve over 300 shows right you're the group the the entity that's created between you two like that thing is like different at show 300 than it is at show one right like changes
1: yeah 100 and it's something that i wish more people did i it's it's so much fun i love the level zero class for that exact reason and uh, I know this is not the exercise you're talking about, but one thing I remember from our level zero class that I was a huge fan of is pass the face. And people aren't going to get it that are listening to this if you've never done it. But essentially, one you're in a circle and uh, you're passing a face exactly the way that you get it. And obviously, over the course of the circle, it's going to change. It's been referred to in my level one class as a Face telephone, if that makes it any clearer.
0: Like an expression, we do.
1: Yeah. And in that class, I remember I just let that run wild for like 25 minutes or so. So long. It was super, super long. And I never do that. But there was a point where we finally crossed the threshold. We had finally crossed the threshold. And like, it was like after the first eight or 10 minutes, where people finally bought in and everybody was passing the energy around. It was It's one of those things where even though you can't see the energy, you can kind of see it, where it's passing around the circle and everybody was doing it. And to this day, that's the longest pass to face I've ever done. I was just so enthralled to be a part of it. It went through so many phases. And it's one of the cooler warmups I've done. It's one of the coolest warmups I've been a part of, for sure, because that it's so hard to get people to buy in. And what level zero class I've gotten people to buy in. And, and that's why I love doing it. And once people buy in, I think zero is fun for me because it, it can be probably more spiritual than the other classes are because it's just about having fun and buying into the energy of the games. And I remember that vividly because that was such a good game.
0: It was great. I think uh, as the years pass and your fame grows, I think that story will get like more legendary. He had us do pass the face for three hours. Uh, you know, but, <laughs> but it, it was a moment I, I was like, what is this? Yeah, I was like, what what is happening during that? It's so long. And I do think something broke through though. It was an amazing teaching moment. So I do feel like you kind of broke our thinking brain and we got into that group brain. It took some extra, you're like pushing us through, let go, just be with the face, just be with the group and do your thing without trying to perform or trying to like be clever or trying to control it. And so like, I just trust your intuition on that to keep it going because something magical did happen in that group. And I think that's part of it is like, let's push past the thinking here for a bit and just be with it.
1: It's like meditation. I've been trying to get back into meditation lately. It's all about being with that breath and get rid of, getting rid of those thoughts. And you want to be with those thoughts. It's, they, they'll entice you. Those thoughts are going to entice the crap out of you. They're going to make oh. you think about things you want in the future, things that have happened in the past. But once you break through and you just sit there, it's it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's relaxing. And same with improv. You just got to break through. And once you break through, it is very rewarding.
0: I feel it, man. Thank you so much for helping me break through, Uh, and I'm I'm still working on it. But I got a little taste of it in level zero, and I'm gonna be back there playing with you and in in the in the pit soon enough. So, I'm I'm excited to get back at it with you. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful for this conversation today. It was a lot of fun, man.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be a part of this. I I really truly am. Yeah,
0: man, it was a joy to have you on. Is there anything else you want to add for people listening? Or I I know we got to mention your show already, and I want to encourage people who didn't hear that before, just to, to check out Sonny's work and his show and go take a class with him. I really recommend that. Anything else you want to add?
1: Oh, man. I guess follow me on Instagram and uh, look out for some of my work. I am really excited to get back to in-person performing. And if you've never taken an improv class, take one. It will change your life and you'll have an immensely fun time.
0: I agree. I back that up. Thank you again, Sonny, for coming on. That was my conversation with Sonny Otwal. Do check out his work. Check out the Pit, the People's Improv Theater in Manhattan. Go take a class. Go do their online programs. Really recommend them. It was really a beautiful way for me to start improv. It was with that community. And uh, make sure to follow Four Gardens Podcast on Instagram. Go to the website. Let me know. Send me a message if you have any, uh, or make a comment if you have any thoughts about this episode, anything you liked. How was that improv game for you that we played? How, was, uh, how are the other parts of this? Yeah, I always like getting feedback and hearing your experience, letting, uh, hearing what you know, want, want more of. So thank you again for listening and keep on growing.